Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. The Travel Addict is back here with you, Malcolm Teasdale. And today, I have another world traveler with me, Peter Kirsting. <laughs> right. He, uh, various talents. Peter is a CEO of a bootstrap voice over production company. Seems like I know what that is, but I'm, I'm, we'll get clarification in a minute. But he specializes in audio book narration. Uh, ask, I'm going to ask some questions because I've just done an audio book. Scary business, but uh, but he also uh, has traveled to various places, studied in various places, and he spent a lot of time on the road. Uh, so we're going to dig down a little bit there. So, Peter, good morning, Malcolm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to dig into whatever you want, whether it's uh, going over what the heck voiceover is or about traveling. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. all right, Peter. Firstly, uh, you are really a, a voiceover production company. Is that just for audiobooks? Please explain in detail what that is um, for the uninitiated. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I get it a lot because I don't think people realize that voice acting is something you can do as a business. Uh, and I honestly didn't realize it when I first got started in the business as well. That's a whole story that actually is connected to travel. Um, it's kind of my life story in a lot of ways. But uh, to answer the question... Voiceover can be in a lot of things. You've heard a voice actor so many times all the time. You just yeah. probably don't realize somebody's getting paid to do it. So anytime you hear a radio ad, obviously it's a voice actor. Anytime you watch an animated show or movie, that's a voice actor. If you're listening to an audiobook, they paid a voice actor like me to record and edit the book. And there's a lot more that goes into it than just reading the book too, right? Um, as I'm sure you know from your experience, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. Uh, and so for me and for my business, currently, the reason I say specialize in audiobook narration, because really, as a professional voice actor, you're getting a couple different reasons. One is you have trained specifically in the type of genre or type of voice acting that you are being paid for. So I have done training for audiobook narration and that's why I command the rate that I do because I've worked with other voice actors who are good at audiobook narration and I've put together a demo, a professional demo. And I also, the other part of it is that you have a recording space that is up to professional standards and you know how to edit it. So audiobook narration is just one facet of voice acting and then there are so many others. So I would not feel comfortable um, going into a different kind of acting job if I had not done the same amount of work that I did for audiobook narration, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, I've written five books about 
travel escapades around the world. And I just decided, started a year ago, I thought, I ought to try an audio book. And I yeah. dipped my feet into it. I got sort of halfway through. I thought, I think I'm regretting this. This is more <laughs> difficult than I thought. So yeah. I, I went back, do bits here and there, you know, and then it eventually got completed. And I used the, um, the uh, editing tool called Audacity, which you've probably heard of. And it seemed to do okay. I added a bit of music here and there, but it was mm. basically, uh, it was an audio book of a book I had written uh, called Religion, Spirituality, and the Way of Life in the Himalayan Mountains. So it was a, that was a smaller book. So that's why I chose that one. It's okay. Mm. Could it be better? Probably. So it's just complete. But if someone and people I've known has asked me this question, I might do that one day. I just might beware before you jump into this. It's harder than you think, you know? Right. Right. Uh, well, first of all, I commend you for, for giving it a shot. And I'm all about bootstrapping. I bootstrap everything that I do with my voiceover business, at least at this point, because, you know, it's a, it teaches you so much about what goes into it. Now, if you ever hire a voice actor, you're going to really appreciate what that person does because you Probably, understand yeah. it is not just them reading the book out loud. Yeah. And I think that that can get lost on people if they <laughs> they don't know what goes into it, which of course they don't, you know, you, how could you? I didn't know what went into it until I started getting inv invested in it. But there's so much, you know. Um, so first of all, that's amazing. And, you know, it's your book. You do what you want. A lot of authors do that. And yeah. if you continue to do it, you'll get better at it. Um, but there is a lot of nuance and a lot of things that I would never have realized go into it if I did not do the professional training. So, um, yeah, it's a lot more than just uh, speaking into a microphone. Yeah, I, I guess if I was really serious about book stuff, then I, I probably would have done it. But it's just my quest to learn about something new, especially right. with the COVID area. I think, well, what should I do today? And it was that type of thing. So I went into it clumsily and – it's all right. Yeah, there's there's worse things out there, well, I'm sure. I love the attitude you have, and I can tell you're, I mean, I've read your bio, but I can tell that you've you've operated your own business, and like you're just speaking about, like, could it have been better? Yes, like, even just that way of thinking, right? It's like, okay, is it good? What could be better? Rather than, like, how did it suck, right? <laughs> <laughs> because you do. You have to try things and fail, and then be like, okay, how could it be better next time if I want to do it again? Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... It's like writing a book uh, or audio, whatever it is, you do it to completion and you get that sense of achievement. It doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't have to be the best thing on the planet, but at least you've done it. And you can look back, well, I actually figured out how to do it and I achieved something. So, yeah, all good, all good. Well, um, let's talk about your travels. Sure, sure. Intrigued by this. Uh, the Netherlands, one of my favorite places. I love the Dutch people. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went, you went to uh, study your work in the Netherlands. Now, I'm going to ask you this question up front. Do you speak Dutch? No, I don't. No, no one does. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried. No one even let me. Yeah. This, nah. I, so my, my, I always, one goal I always had, I would walk into an Albert Hein or something and I would try to get through checkout without them realizing that I didn't speak Dutch and I would get really close. But then as soon as they knew, they would just it was yeah. automatic switch. There, there, it was over. English from then on. Now, that's why all the Dutch speak English because no one's going to learn their language. And I, I, <laughs> I say that 
tongue in cheek because they're, they're great people actually. And, uh, but yeah. So, uh, tell me about your uh, time in the Netherlands there. It looked like you had a bit of an accident. Did you? Oh, I had a, more than one accident. Uh, so I don't know where to start. So first of all, I'd been traveling around Europe for about a month before I made it to the Netherlands. So I was doing a exchange program for university, NHTV University of Applied Sciences. I think they're just called Breda University now, but it's an international school and they have a couple different disciplines, but I was there specifically for their film program. And it was connected to my university in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with since you've been to the Grand Canyon. It's nice and close. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite places. I'm glad, I was glad to see that I was on the top of your list. But uh, I'm digressing anyway. So I I traveled around a little bit before. I visited friends in England and uh, in Nottingham specifically, and then a friend of mine in South France, which both of those were groundbreaking experiences for me for different reasons. Uh, in, in England, my friend that I stayed with, I had never met him before, but we had been friends for like 16 years, which tells you about what the internet was like in the early 2000s or 90s yeah. versus now, because I would never yeah. do that now. Yeah. But uh, I stayed with him, met his parents, and I was, it was crazy. And then in South France, uh, I stayed with a friend who, um, I could unpack this stuff more, it was just for my brain, I guess I'm just referencing. Um, I stayed in a chateau in uh, Biarritz and I went by own and did some really cool stuff with a friend that I was reconnecting with who had lived in Napa, California with me, uh, studying wine. So when my family lived there, so it was really cool because I got to meet his family again. I was probably like six, seven, eight years old when we first met and we lived in the same place for like maybe five years. And then now I'm in my early twenties and I'm, I'm meeting his family again. Um, and it, so that was a trip, but my first day in the Netherlands, uh, I realized less than 24 hours that I was having appendicitis and I needed to get emergency appendectomy done. Good Lord. And that's, that's unbelievable, isn't it? You know, you, you go to a foreign country, then all of a sudden you have to put your faith in the healthcare system. And which I'm sure they came through with just fine, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a whole story. Uh, it's actually kind of a crazy story. I, I don't know if you want me to tell the whole thing, but well, give us the two yeah, minute version. Sure. So I arrived, got into my my apartment, and I had a, the one connection with the school. This girl who was the person who picked me up and gave me my keys, and so I'm like, okay. I woke up at five in the morning and I'm like, uh, this is not just stomach pain. And uh, this is the beauty of the internet, right? I WhatsApp um, my my brother who just had an appendicitis. I'm like, hey man, I think I think I might be having the same thing. He's like, well, what's going on? Is this or this? I was like, yeah, maybe. And I, I'm just gonna call one more person. So I call one of my best friends from back home as well. And I'm like, hey, uh, Jazz, you're a nurse. You know what? This is what I'm doing. And he's like, jump up and down if you feel pain. Yeah. Uh, you know. And I'm I would never have thought to do that. So I'm like, okay, I'm definitely having appendicitis. Yeah. Um, and I, I, thankfully, in these kind of situations, I don't freak out. I don't know why I get more calm. And, and I'm not normally that calm of a person, but in this kind of situation, I do. Yeah. So I called the girl up and I was like, hey, um can you tell me how to get to the hospital? And she's like, uh, yeah, but why? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think I'm having an appendicitis. And she's like, do you want me to call an ambulance? And 
I'm American, and this speaks very true to America, being American. I was like, no, because I don't know how much an ambulance costs. I'll just ride my bike. So I rode my bike to the hospital. I didn't have a phone plan yet. I had to stop at one point and find Wi-Fi just to figure out how to get to this hospital. Oh, my word. Is not, it was very close, but it took me like an hour to get there. And then I was probably in the hospital for seven, eight, nine hours before I ever got surgery. And it, that was a whole ordeal that it, my first experience of the Dutch uh, was was weird because everybody I met didn't speak English and they were very cold to me in the hospital. And I'm thinking like, dang, I thought the Dutch were like really welcoming people. Like, well, this is messed up, you know? And uh, I was in the hospital for three days after that, after that surgery. I was supposed to be in there for a lot less, but I was in there for three days because they had they had to do emergency appendectomy. Yeah, where they the more invasive routine. I remember the doctor. We were going into the operating room, and he's like, ninety five percent of the time it's uh, laparoscopic, which is non invasive. And I was like, well, what about the other five percent of the time? And he's like, well, you know, in that case, it's a little bit more invasive, but don't worry about it. And I woke up, and I my first my first thought was. Oh, I gotta call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. But yeah. yeah, so that was that was my welcome wagon to the Netherlands. Yeah, well, I gonna say. So, were you in the five percent or the ninety-five percent? I was one hundred percent in the five percent. Yeah, I was. It was. It was like four days of antibiotics in the hospital, oh, good Lord. and uh, all these people who looked like they were dead, dead or dying, were leaving before me. And I was yeah. as a a twenty six year old who's supposed to be in class. I'm like, get me out of here! I want to get yeah. out. You know. Well, I'll tell you what, though, you you went through that, and you went to the Netherlands, which is a foreign country, of course. But you came back, and then you hitchhiked to Paris, and then yeah. you travel a, a a bit further out. How many years ago was that? That would have been 2016. It was 2016, and so oh, it was okay. actually it was actually it, Trump and Hillary Clinton was that was the presidential race that was happening while I it was November, so it was yeah. literally the results were going to be coming in Jesus. as I was hitchhiking. So, so that's what it, made that so memorable. So what were you in standing in one of the streets in Amsterdam with your thumb stuck out there and so. <laughs> You're lucky someone didn't stop on a bicycle and pick you up. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so I had this crazy German friend, Andreas, who was like, do you want to hitchhike? I love hitchhiking. I was like, I mean, of course, I'm all about experience. I was like, I've never done that before. And you get murdered in the U.S. if you do that. But sure, let's give it a try. So we hitchhiked from Breda to Belgium to Paris. And it was the coolest thing because yeah. every single person who stopped was like wanting to know about my first experience of, of Europeans in that way was you, Americans don't ask each other about politics, especially not nowadays. You don't want to know because if you do, you're upset. But Europeans, they always wanted to know and they always wanted to tell me their opinion, whether or not I asked for oh, it. Cool. So it cool. was a yeah, very different, very different experience for an American. And I played that hard. You know, I wore like American flag shades and a oh, I see, yeah, just so that they know it's an American dude. And I had a sign that said, um hillary question mark trump question mark paris and i'd see people they're driving by and at first they're like oh i freaking hate this guy like i can and then they see the last line and they're oh okay and they pull over and they stop all oh, right yeah <laughs> a lot you survived i i don't know i i to be honest with you, i've never hitchhiked i may have done it once growing up in england i tend to think like i'm surprised people even do it today so i've never seen it 
um, in recent years. But anyway, well, crap's on doing that. And I know you visited. Whereabouts in England were you, by the way? I was up in Nottingham and Lincolnshire, that area. Oh, Nottingham. Okay. Yeah. Did you meet the sheriff? Yeah, no, no, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to meet him. I didn't stand in his woods for too long either. <laughs> All right. So you visited good old England and you probably yeah. went to a pub or two, I'm no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Got some fish and chips, did the, you know, all the English breakfast. Uh, I'm all about the first thing I do is food. So, all right. Do you have an English curry? No, I didn't get a chance to have that. What? I know. I paid so, a lot. So, so, I'll come Listen, back around. All the Brits. Look, British food is generally bland. That's why they sort of migrated over to Indian food, curry houses. There's curry houses everywhere. You yeah. Know? And uh, so next time you're over there. Uh, but also curious, uh, you, you went to uh, Finland. Yeah. Right. And uh, been to Finland, but I was there on a cruise ship. I do speaking gigs on cruise ship. I got off in Helsinki and went yeah. out in the boonies a little bit. But I was intrigued yeah. by Finland because it's looked on as being like one of the happiest countries in the world. But environmentally, if you go out in the countryside, it is pristine. Oh, it's um, gorgeous. It's unbelievable. I went to a town called Poor Vu. You know, they are the biggest coffee drinkers in the world. And if you know that per capita, but, I did not know that. And I'm yeah, a coffee guy. I'm surprised. Per capita, yeah. So life revolves around a coffee. But I went to this small town. It was just, it was friendly, warming, and it was just a great experience. And I, I, I tend to understand why people just like living there. They're just a happy bunch of people. So uh, yeah. not many people have know too much about Finland, maybe because I thought, well, it used to be part of owned by Russia, but obviously not right. anymore. So, But it's a right. wonderful country. If you ever get the chance or anybody out there gets a chance to go. I couldn't recommend it uh, more. And my experience there was super unique as well. I, one of the reasons I was so lucky is I had all these experiences. I don't think people normally get. Um, I'm just I'm right place, the right time maybe, but... I made friends in my program who were from Finland. And so I had a place to stay for free. And of course, why would I not go? So oh, I yeah. went with a Kiwi to oh, Finland, yeah. <laughs> Helsinki, <laughs> on the on New Year's. And it was the 100th anniversary of their independence from Russia. So it was oh, yeah. literally the biggest party I've, oh, I bet. I've yeah. ever been to in my life. It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> and... I well, oh my gosh! I couldn't. I've never had a better New Year's. It was so cool. Yeah. It was the coldest place I've been in a lot of ways too. My gosh, it was so cold. I, you know, here in Arizona, if if your phone shuts off, it's because it's overheating. There, yeah. it just it freezes and turns. It off. freezes. Yeah, well, yeah. it depends what time of year you go. Yeah. But I remember being in Helsinki. I got lost. But the problem is. All the street names have 30 characters in them yeah. and they're unpronounceable. You can't ask anyone from direction because you can't even pronounce the names. So that's why it's important to take a map if you're in yeah. downtown Helsinki. But it's all good. Uh, I, I got out of that predicament. Now, you spent time in South Korea. I'm sorry, Seoul, South Korea. South Korea, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I was teaching. So, so after Europe, that was my first time abroad actually and i got a lot in in six months because it was actually seven or eight months probably with my travel before and after but i had to go back and finish my program in the u.s um got my degree in journalism and international communication because of my time in the netherlands uh but after i graduated i was trying to find work overseas and after you know a couple close interviews that didn't land i was broadening and what kind of work I was looking for. And I, and teaching English as a second language is what I landed on. And I can tell you right now, and this is not hyperbolic, but it was 
one of the top five best decisions I've ever made in my life to go with almost zero knowledge of any kind and with a three-month span between the decision and getting certified and going. Yeah. The best decision, I, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life to go live in South Korea and teach English there. Yeah. I've heard stories similar to this before, Pete, about people going overseas. Thailand's another place, but people mm -hmm. go and teach English. Now, I was wondering what qualifications are required for that. Is it your you studied international communications? Is that what gave you, or did you have to go take a, a, another course to actually learn the details of how to correctly teach English? What, what does that involve? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And uh, it really depends on what country you're going to, what the absolute requirements are. Um, for me, I was teaching for the government. So yeah. I was actually in a public school. And so in East Asia um, is probably a little bit different, different from Southeast Asia as far as the requirements. You, yeah. you, and it, whether or not you're in public school or in like a, a private school. So in, yeah. in Korea, those would be called hogwans. Um, in Japan, I'm blanking on what they're called, but they have private school system there as well. Yeah. So, so it's a question of that sometimes. For what I was doing, uh, you needed to have a bachelor's at least. Yeah. And then also you needed to be from like one of eight different countries that are like native English countries yeah. for the most part. So if you're from South Africa or England or the U.S. or some are more desirable than others because they're yeah. it, it's as much of a cultural exchange as it is a a language learning an opportunity yeah. for them. Um, but so I need to be TEFL certified as well, which stands for teaching English as a foreign language. Okay, got it. So I found an academy that's very reputable in Chicago called International TEFL Academy. For anybody who's, um, I'm not affiliated technically other than being an alumni, but I cannot recommend them more. If you are an American and look interested in Teaching English as a second language, they're a great resource, and they have one of the best programs out there from from what I can see yeah. um, in an amazing alumni network. So that made it really easy for me, actually. I, I learned there's a lot of nuances to it, but basically, I, I don't know Korean. I, I didn't know any Korean. I know some now. I, I like to say I speak like a five-year-old, but uh, oh, you teach I five didn't need yeah. no. I didn't no, need of course to not. know it. Yeah. Well, it's very commendable, you know, and um, growing up, working overseas or teaching English overseas never entered my brain cells because I never knew it existed. Right. If I knew about it, I probably would. Yeah. But I went through the motions of just gr going through school, uh, college, and then I became a DJ and I got a real job Th doing that. Then I started to learn about how the rest of the world lives. But today it's it is it, right. that information is more freely available so yeah it's great if uh, anybody who uh, is graduating from college they're looking yeah. for a, a worldly experience that is a fantastic thing to do oh, um, yeah. but it's not as educational because i think living overseas is very educational and uh, you probably learn a lot from that yeah, oh, you learn so much i mean I, I know from what i've read of your bio that you have an affinity for asia i I think a lot of it has to do with your personality and how you see differences and whether or not that's an inherently an obstacle to you or something desirable and exciting. Personally, yeah. I find that kind of thing so exciting. Yeah. My challenge is always to, when I go to a new place, um, at least speak a little bit of the language, even if it's terrible. 
and then to try to make local friends. Exactly. Because if if you can if you can understand the local culture and show a level of respect, those are some of the deepest relationships I've ever formed. I still have friends in Europe from my time there that are just really good friends from Finland, you know, from the Netherlands, from Italy, just all over. And those kind of relationships and the relationships I made in Korea and Vietnam and other places I visited were, you can't, you can't get that without doing that. Exactly. And uh, that's the thing about travel. I think it, you have these experiences that just stay with you forever. Yeah. You could go down on the beach with your buddies, drink a few beers Okay, fine, but it's these experiences that really uh, that stay with you for uh, the rest of uh, your life. But obviously, when you go overseas, it's like when people come to our country, people have to be accepting, tolerant, right. and mm-hmm. understand the culture. It may not be different uh, to us or as it is to them if they come to visit us, and that that's the way it is. So, uh, right, good thing. Now, when you're in Asia, you received a salary enabling you to rent a place there. I'm sure. But so just living there would have been a great experience. But while you were there, you also got to travel a little bit about around Asia as well, right? Where yeah, else did well, we go? Well, first, first of all, one of the reasons why teaching in a place like Korea is so amazing mm-hmm. is because with the public school program, at least, my housing was paid for. I paid utilities. I didn't pay for the housing. So while my salary may not have been that big my cost of living was very low i yeah. had you know uh their their health care and honestly i tell people and i think for americans um especially they have a hard time wrapping their head around that but i had more freedom and a better quality of life by far living abroad than i did living in the u.s yeah um so there's there's that, and then as a teacher, I had two weeks of vacation uh, in two a week, two weeks in the in the spring, and two weeks oh, sorry, two weeks in the yeah. summer, and two weeks in the winter, and so I got to travel to five other places. I I was in Singapore, um, where I actually reconnected with a professor um, that I had in in the Netherlands, who I was mm-hmm. became close with, and then in Malaysia, where I got scuba certified. I know that that's something that you're yeah. well aware of, and that was an amazing experience. Yeah. I would, I would, can't wait to do it again. I haven't been able to do it a second time. Um, and then I also was in Vietnam and yeah. in Japan, as yeah. well as Korea a lot, of yeah. course. You think freedom, yeah, that word comes up. And I study the world indexes, that whole list of them. It's updated every year. Right. But with regards to freedom, the three categories, human, personal, and economic freedom. Then I see who's top of the list and see where the United States are and Great Britain is. It would be surprising to some people to really take note of that, you know. But South Korea is, last time I checked, the most innovative country in the world. They are fantastic. First of all, I don't know if you know this, but as far as natural resources go, there are like zero natural resources in South Korea. There's no tectonic activity in South Korea. Interestingly enough, there's a bunch in Japan. So one of the huge differences you'll see between those two countries, which are so close together and in a lot of ways very similar culturally, um, although they wouldn't agree, um, there is so many natural resources in Japan, and there are so few to none 
in South Korea. And yet that country went from being a predominantly an agricultural country to being one of the biggest tech and software leaders in the world and some of the best vehicles too. And you think about that, they're very small. Um, Seoul, you know, Seoul is the biggest city by far and majority oh, yeah. of the population and is not that many people. I think there's, there's think there's like something like 8 million people in Seoul. And then there's a lot in the, in the area so around much, yeah. Seoul, but it's not that big of a country to get from the top to the bottom. Driving takes you like six hours. Yeah. It's nothing at all. Eh? So to yeah. think that they're, to think that they're so innovative in both the car manufacturing industry and the, uh, the uh, you know computer tech, whether it's phones or uh, software, it is, it is honestly very impressive. And, and I think that has a lot to do with their work culture. There's good and bad in their work culture, but they are really, really scrappy hard workers there. Yeah, exactly. Definitely great uh, work ethic at all. So where else in Asia did you go? Did you visit uh, the infamous Thailand? I didn't get a chance. I really, that's going to be, on, it's on my bucket list because I'm going back. It's just not, it's not a question of when, not if. <laughs> I got a chance to go to Vietnam. Yeah. And it's funny, your your least favorite place, I spent a fair amount of time there and, and Hanoi. <laughs> What what did you say the least favorite place was? I thought uh, I thought I saw on your on your list that Hanoi one of your least favorite places that you visited. Maybe I, maybe oh, I said that incorrectly. Oh, the city of Hanoi. <laughs> yeah. Well, I stayed in the city center, but just the traffic is uh It's insane. Yeah, it's uh, just crossing the street there and uh yeah, there's rules to cross the street. Start crossing, don't look back because the cars don't yeah, expect you, you to stop. You don't slow down, you just go and you trust that someone's not going to hit you and then yeah, it's 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 intimidating. I rode a motorbike in so I from Hanoi through the Haivan Pass, which is this beautiful Oh yeah. Uh, cliff, uh, and I rode all the way up to this other town which oh my god, I'm blanking on the names right now, but it was from, like from a, from north of Hanoi uh no, no sorry um i'm thinking of uh denang actually right now okay i yeah. was in hanoi hanoi is uh, there are there is a really cool that really cool circle above denang in between there and china that's like really good for motorbiking i've heard i didn't get a chance to go up there yeah but the haivan pass i did in denang and denang is also insane as far as the traffic goes yeah, yeah. vietnam in general really is oh yeah but, but uh, it's, it's something that's fun about it i don't know and uh yeah i, yeah. I spent time in ho chi minh and um not Trang as well, just cool yeah. places. Uh, but yeah. you'll have to go back, and uh, there's lots of obviously. I mentioned Thailand because you've got the jungles in the north, great right. beaches, and Bangkok, which is just insane. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, C- Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, those are places that I am sad that I missed. Yeah, uh, you got plenty of time to do it, and uh, yeah. that's probably my one of my favorite parts of the world, actually. I love to go back there. In fact, I was supposed to be in Indonesia. In September, oh, yeah. Raja, I'm a diver, so I was going to Raja Ampat, which right. is uh, in a very remote place there. But I was going to get over there, spend a few days in in Bangkok to get over jet lag before going into Indonesia. <laughs> but Indonesia just locked the doors, no foreigners right. at all. So that oh, put a stop to that. That just happened. How recently was that? Indonesia put a block on entry probably in the summer mm. of this year. But I was right. booked to go in September, but it never yeah. went away. Uh, so yeah, it, it wasn't going to, yeah. I know, so I just have to have a d- plan. Where, I'm going to have to pick your brain about uh, about that at some point about the different diving spots because. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Sipper down in Borneo and uh, Palau. But you, you can contact me anytime about that. Sure, Roger Ampad sure. is a, a huge nature reserve there. It's supposed to be drop dead gorgeous, but mm. you know, 
I, I just try to do this stuff. I'm older than you, and I want to do it while I can because I can't. No, I love that. I can't. I've, I've, I've so much respect for that, and it's funny because I was thinking about it as I was starting to sit down before we even introduced ourselves to each other. There's something about when you know somebody else is another nomad, another traveler that like I don't even have to know who you are. I, I read enough about you in like 30 seconds to know that we'll get along <laughs> and that sounds very cliche but it, it, you it takes a certain kind of person to want to do the things that you do and i'm like oh he's in the scuba and he he took the first chance he could to sell software in southeast asia i will like malcolm this is gonna be a fun interview yeah people always ask the question why you know you know when i went to bhutan when i mentioned that people said what's that i said it's a country believe it or not landlocked yeah. country and it's the most <laughs> wonderful thing I ever did to do that, just climb up to Tiger's Nest there. But there's so many things on our planet to see and explore or to experience that that list never goes down. And no. um, the more I do it, the more I want. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm just doing it where I can. And obviously the last two years have been problematic, but, right. you know. Yeah, it's hard. It's been hard to be a traveler and and uh, just kind of sit sit and wait and hope that you can get out there again and do it in a way that's going to be, um, both like, you know, helpful. You got to be safe. You're going to right all that stuff. But mm -hmm. I I totally I totally know what you mean and yeah, it's I hope you get out there again soon. I've yeah, my niece had a baby girl recently. She lives in the Cotswolds part of England, so I decided to go over to England. And this was in September. This was my substituted <laughs> plan B. So yeah. to go over to England, so I'm a British citizen, but I had a COVID test before I went over there. When I landed in Manchester, I had to have another COVID test. Then uh, 12 hours, I got the results. So I was free to travel, but I stayed there a few days. And I, I told people, yeah, I'm off to the Ukraine. I said, what? Why, why on earth do you want to go there? Because I want to, and I can. Yeah. You know, yeah. people, so yeah. places that people wouldn't. It was a bit edgy. That's all right, but it was just a fan. Buildings there are unbelievable. So yeah, no, I mean the thing is, like, like you said, there's so much education in it too. I, I, I think I have become such so much more of a well-rounded person through because of those experiences. I'm sure you feel the same way. It's just oh, absolutely, learn yeah. so much about yourself. Um, yeah. even when you're not thinking about the the people and the cultural experience. Uh, yeah, you discover more about yourself and you have a better appreciation for the rest of the world. It, in my guess, yeah. what I say is a quest to learn how the rest of the world lives and works. Did the Mongolian wilderness. I spent the day with a nomadic family. And I just yeah. asked the question, I said, why can't, why didn't you guys just go and live in Ulaanbaatar? Uh, you know, big city it's sort of modern. And they said, not a chance. We're happy where we are in the middle of nowhere. And then animals yeah. had, had a baby and uh i i look i that, i appreciate that because you know because they they're monetary poor but because they've got the happiness it's like the buddhist thing happiness is does not equate to wealth and it's very true no it, and that's a very western idea i think that uh well at least at least more pervasive in western culture obviously capitalism is everywhere and it's, i don't think it's a bad thing personally but you're right it's very often the misconception is that more money equals more happiness. Yeah. In a no. lot of ways it's it's the opposite to be honest with you. It's more about like what does the money give you? 
at least that's the way I look at that kind of thing is it's very much more about how happy am I living the type of lifestyle that I'm living and any choice that I make is to allow myself more freedom. So personally, I'm, I'm all about the location independence, I think is the, the phrase that people call it or location freedom. I'm huge on that. And then I'm very much a Tim Ferriss type fan about, I don't know if you've heard of his ideas about like the new rich, that kind of thing. I'm all about that kind of thing, yeah. you know, work, work less and live more. Um, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's educational experience. So where to next? Peter? Well, fingers crossed. Um, one of the great things about my voiceover business is as long as I can create a space that's professionally uh, sounding, I can work from anywhere. So I'm getting married in December. Uh, oh. And I convinced my my future wife, my fiance, to apply to teach English in Japan and in yeah. Korea because I just need to get back to Asia. And uh, I think that teaching is – I like teaching. I enjoy it. It The the structure of the job actually helps me to have more freedom in other ways too and also to continue to do my voiceover business while teaching. And that's something I've really struggled with finding a balance, work-life balance in the U.S. I don't know why it was so much easier for me in Asia. Maybe because there's just fewer fewer distractions in, in some ways f- for where yeah. I was living. But I... I'm excited to get back out there and I'd love to live in Japan. We'll see if that plans out. But if I went back to Korea, I'd be really excited about that too, because you can save a lot of money if you, while still having a better, you know, quality of life in my, in my experience doing that. So that's the goal. Get back to Asia, travel around some more, see Thailand, see Cambodia and Laos, uh, introduce my fiance to the friends that I made there. Yeah. You know, like that would be, I, I don't know, when you, you have someone visit your home, it, it's so cool to show them your stomping grounds. That's kind of yeah. how I'm going to feel if I bring her to Asia. It's like, hey, this is, this was my experience. These are, this, w- w- now let's create a new one. So I'm yeah. excited to do something like that. Quite a few people who have moved, not to Asia, but to other countries as well. What could be Latin America or Europe. Right. But right. Portugal seems to be favorite right now. Really? But, uh, to right move now, to yeah. Asia, there's more people doing that than you think. All right. And it could be a number of reasons. It could be healthcare, cheaper cost of living. Who knows? My cousin's son moved to Tokyo. He met a Japanese lady and he, and he stayed in Tokyo. He's been living there most of his life. He lived in Tokyo, but he moved out west from Tokyo into the mountains regions, foot of the mountains. And he loves there. There's no way he's going to go back to Britain. Well, so you and you referenced the, I'm forgetting what, where they were. Sorry that, that, that family that was living kind of more rurally. Uh, and you're like, why would you go back? I, I kind of relate to that though. Cause in one of the reasons why my experience in Korea was so amazing is because I was not in the big city because yeah. it's so easy. I think in a big city to just get stuck in the speed of things and g- you keep going and there's so much to do and see. And you're always constantly being barraged with all these different, you know, sensory overloads and you can't slow down unless you're really intentional when you're in a place like that. You're living yeah. in the countryside, you're going to have to slow down whether you want to or not. And yeah. <laughs> you can still, you're in a digital world, so you can be as busy and productive as you want from anywhere really nowadays. But Oh, absolutely. To be able to say, oh, there's like no one else out here 
I or there are, but like they're just living like a simpler life. Like I love that. I mean, talk yeah. about like more intimate relationships too. Like in today's world, I I'm not totally like unplug me right now, you know, but but I'm more and more that way the older I get. So to live in rural Japan or rural South Korea sounds much more appealing than to go live in Tokyo itself. Yeah. Plus, yeah. like the nature is so beautiful. Oh yeah, absolutely. In in fact, next year in June, myself and my wife are going to England. We're going to rent a cottage in the English countryside uh, because I still have relatives over there. I still have um, some dear friends over there. I'd like to see. It's a fragile yeah. world, and you never know what's going to hit us next. And you know, right. it's been a couple of years out of our lives, just gone away here. So we thought about renting a place in the English countryside near a train station. So we'd have to rent a guy, get on the train, walk the train, right. and get go anywhere to visit people. But hey, in the countryside, plenty of places to walk to, pub down the street, Indian restaurant, whatever, stuff yeah. nearby, and just walk and soak it up. Yeah, it's laid back. So that's it, really appealing. It all ties back to what you're saying about the happiness index elements of it too, right? Like if you can have the creature comforts that you know you need, which is part of we, you know, knowing yourself that yeah. you've learned, I'm sure, from your travels, you know what you really need to feel comfortable. And then also like what can help you kind of prioritize the type of lifestyle you want. Yeah. Because it's so easy to get, like, say, oh, this is what I want, but then not do that. So I kind of look at that as, like, you're just setting yourself up to, you know, keep it simpler. Yeah, exactly. Quite a bit younger than me, so you got plenty to look forward to. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I had the bucket list, overused yeah. term. Yeah, I've got stuff on it, but it increases, not decreasing, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, Peter, if anyone wants to uh, get your assistance on doing an audio book or find out more about you, where can they find you? Thanks for that, Malcolm. Yeah. So th there's a couple different ways you can find me. The The easiest way, the, the umbrella, I think, would be to go to my website, peterkirsting.com, which is K-E-R-S-T-I-N-G. Peterkirsting.com has my podcast uh, yep. It also will have some contact forms and things on there, a little bit more about me. If you're interested in getting in touch with me uh, for for voiceover services, or if you're interested in getting in touch with me about just my podcast. So um, yeah, I think peterkirsten.com is a great place to start. Uh, and if you know you're interested in checking out my podcast, um, Aloma Peter is the name. There's an Instagram, um, but also just every podcast platform, Aloma Peter. Uh, and it's... It's it's been fun. I interview people much like yourself from different yeah. walks of life, um, and I kind of try to take like a hero's journey approach, kind of like where they came from, where they are now, and how it relates to the audience. But uh, the way I like to say it is, Loma Peter is a podcast for entrepreneurs, artists, digital yeah. nomads, and people seeking personal growth. So, because I'm 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 all those things. But a journey of self discovery as much as it is travel for me. Um, and so if you're interested in those things and you're trying to find some tools or just to listen to some interesting interviews, um, I'd love for you to check out the show. Excellent. Excellent. Well, good. And especially, uh, I may contact you about my audio book. I don't know. I'm a say yeah. I'll have to listen to it a, a couple more times. It's all right. Like I said, but, yeah. but I, I think that's a great idea, um, to offer your help for people who would like to do an audio book. I've come across people who 
do want to do one um, because they think it's easier than writing it. All right. right. And um, there could be a lesson learned there, but uh, all, all good stuff, Peter. So anyway, keep in touch and they know how to contact you. I'll let you go. It's been yeah. about 50 minutes, you know. No, that's it was a really fun, you know, quick-paced interview. I really appreciate it, Malcolm. It's It's been a pleasure. to. I, I'm glad we got back and forth a little bit rather than just all me so <laughs> yeah it's it's all good mate well i wish you well in the future all right yeah absolutely. safe travels and hopefully you'll fulfill yes. your bucket list or be able to get back over to asia and well it's uh, do it's going to keep growing just like yours it doesn't it never dwindles you if anything you just want to go to the next spot like a, a second time you know but uh but thank you for that and please do do reach out about you know even if i could just if you're still just doing it yourself maybe i can give you a couple pointers about maybe a little bit better way to go about it efficiency wise with the audiobook. so okay sounds great have a great all right day. all right peter S- stay safe stay well talk to you soon bye bye-bye many thanks for joining me today this is malcolm teasdale signing off before i do Please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.